Welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast with Meredith Atwood. We all have the same 24 hours each day, and it's what we do with those hours that makes all the difference between our health, happiness, and success. This episode, we interview Deb Cheslow. Deb is a peak performance coach, author, and co-founder of the new series with Meredith called Your Brave Mind. In this episode, Meredith and Deb really talk about all the amazing things that our brains can do. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of the Same 24 Hours podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Atwood. Today, I have an excellent and exciting guest. Deb Cheslow is here. Hello, Deb. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for agreeing to take time on this holiday. <laughs> you bet. It's, so, it, it, it's exciting. I'm really uh, happy to be here. Looking forward to it. Excellent. Excellent. So you guys, Deb is really just an incredible person. She is considered America's number one achievement expert. And I believe that because she is just amazing. She's a best-selling author, speaker, corporate trainer, coach, and facilitator who has spent her entire life defying the odds to achieve goals that should not have even been possible. And let's start with talking about flying supersonic jets. (laughs) (laughs) Before we started, um, Deb mentioned that and I said, oh, I want to talk about the supersonic jets. So let's talk about the supersonic jets, talking about defying odds. Well, uh, that was just one of those crazy dreams I, I got back in high school. Um, it, it was kind of a, a strange situation because uh, I was I was fortunate enough to get good grades, and I en- ended up being valedictorian. So my teachers literally used to argue over whether I was going to be a doctor or a lawyer, and I would just look at them like they fell out of a tree, <laughs> and they couldn't understand that. <laughs> so I had this crazy dream that I wanted to be an astronaut. So I uh, decided to major in aerospace engineering just for that reason. And and I went down to Virginia Tech and they had this little demo with the ROTC and the Corps of Cadets and the the uniforms and and all that cool stuff. And I just got hooked. And and so then it all of a sudden it became this passion that, well, yeah, I'm going to get a degree in aerospace engineering, but that's not going to get me to pilot the space shuttle. Let's let's join the Air Force and fly jets and and go to test pilot school and and do it that way. <laughs> yeah, and then so, what happened? <laughs> so, um, I started out with the major, and then my focus shifted to the Air Force, and I just I loved the military, I loved the Air Force. Um, went off to pilot training right after college, and uh, had some scary moments and some you know oh my god am I going to make it kind of moments, but but at the end of the day, I graduated at the top part of my class and I got to pick my assignment. And uh, I love teaching. I love training. That's why I do what I do right now. That, that I'm, a, I'm a teacher and trainer at my heart. So I chose to be an instructor pilot. And, and then I spent the next four years flying supersonic jets, teaching other people how to do the same thing. It, it was awesome. So I am in awe of anyone that flies any sort of aircraft. I just feel that I would go down the runway and when the time comes to go up, I would just go, yeah, <laughs> I'm out. Okay. Well, let, let me uh, set your mind at ease a little bit there. Getting up is not the problem. Um, <laughs> actually, at, at one point, uh, I had uh, my husband and I owned a plane, a small one, and we used to take the kids up. They were toddlers in car seats. 
four oh years gosh. old. No. And, and we would put the car seat in the front, and we had a little logbook. And both of my girls, as toddlers, took off the airplane and flew the airplane. They actually had lessons. So the, the problem's not getting up in the air. That That's easy. The problem is getting back down on the ground. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, I would probably stall with that, too. I mean... <laughs> Just be like, I'm gonna hang up here until I just plummet to my death. <laughs> oh, come on! You're an Iron Man. You can handle oh, it. Oh my gosh! I, I promise you could do it. <laughs> so when I was a kid, I had the Top Gun game on the Nintendo, and it was the old school Nintendo, the little gray box. And my dad's claim to fame was, he said, "I can land that plane on the aircraft carrier with my feet." On the little Nintendo thing, and he did. Okay. And so I always think about that. Um, if I, if my dad can land a plane on the Nintendo with his feet, <laughs> I can do anything. <laughs> That's true. Absolutely. Although I wouldn't suggest, you know, no. feet only in the real no. world. But, but sure, you could do it. So how many years did you actually instruct at, at the, where was, where were you? Well, I went to pilot training in Lubbock, Texas, which oh, okay. is up in the Panhandle, uh, in between, um, what is that state? <laughs> Alabama? <laughs> Oklahoma, that one. In between <laughs> Oklahoma and New Mexico. And it it was literally, the, the it was like, as a plateau, and it was like living in the desert. It's nothing like the other parts of Texas. And mm-hmm. The, the wind would pick up, and, and we used to say that New Mexico was coming to visit because the dust would just blow, and these big tumbleweeds would blow down the street and bang into the car and blow across the runway. and So that was an interesting experience, but there was an Air Force base there called Reese Air Force Base, which has since closed, which is sad. Um, but I, stayed, I, got, I was there from 80, 88 to 89, got my graduated from pilot training and then stayed as an instructor um, for, when did we leave? 92, 90, 92, I think we mm-hmm. left there. So it was about four years. Okay. Something cool. like that. So what was the big change in your life that sort of directed you and or put you in another direction as far as your career goes? Well, <laughs> it was one of those unexpected, um, life throwing you a curveball moments. Um, I, I kind of lived the dream life, you know, like I said, I, I got this great, you know, I was valedictorian and I went off to college, got my aerospace engineering degree, um, flew, became an air force pilot, flew supersonic jets, met and married the man of my dreams. We had two beautiful, healthy little girls. Um, as I like to say, right on schedule, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm an engineer, and I, you know, I plan things. Right. So my my oldest was born on her due date. That's my claim to fame. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, life 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 was perfect. We built the big, beautiful custom home, and we had the cars and uh, money and the the jobs. I mean, we just loved life. And then one day, we we were literally making Christmas cookies, watching the kids play in the snow. We lived in Virginia in the mountains in the Blue Ridge, and this was after 11 years of what I thought was a perfect marriage. I mean, we, we had three arguments in, in 11 years. That's what? It. Amazing. I know. It, I it, had three like, arguments a day. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I mean, ev- everybody we knew just envied us, thought we were like the perfect couple, the perfect marriage, the perfect life, the yada, yada, yada. And here we are making Christmas cookies. 
and he was acting all weird. And I kept pushing, what's up? What's wrong? What's wrong? And, and he turns and says, well, I've been seeing this young man in Cleveland when I go off to my airline pilot job, and um, I'd rather be with him than you. Uh, I'm leaving. Oh. <laughs> and I did not see that coming. Wow. Well, my perfect marriage just poof was over. Um, so what happens when someone tells you that? Like, do you go through the stages, like people say, of grief or whatever, or is this a whole different level of stages of things? Like, what happens after that? Well, for me, I I just totally fell apart, to yeah. be honest. I, I couldn't get past the hurt. Uh, I couldn't get past the, um, you know, in, in my mind, at the time, marriage was a one-time thing and it's for life and and I believed in our vows and you know how, what is this thing called divorce you know I, I just I, it never bothered me when other people did it but I never thought I would do it and so I, I didn't like the label I I was mad I was hurt I was upset uh, and by nature at the time I was a, a fester you know, I would dwell on things and run them over and over again in my mind, and I was really good at it. And and then, you know, the little passive-aggressive thing to make sure people knew what I was festering on. And and so I got really good over the next eight years at running that cycle in my head and festering on all of it. And, and I became so convinced that everything I wanted, everything I had, had just walked out the door uh, and that I could never be happy again because I didn't have my husband and I didn't have jets and, you know, what, what good is life? And, and at 37, I honestly thought the best of life was behind me. And, and I threw the, the biggest pity party you've ever seen for eight years. Well, so how old were your kids at this time? Like at eight years, were they teenagers? They were seven and nine when he left. So, uh, second grade and fourth grade. Um, and they too, I mean, we, he didn't let on. I had no clue. Didn't even remotely see it coming. So uh, he was an airline pilot and and he was gone most of the week and he'd come home for a few days and they'd be like perfect days. We'd, we'd have the little, um, Stepford family and, um, he was a great father and a, a doting husband and, and so the kids never saw it coming either. So, I mean, they just burst into tears. It, yeah. it, was, it was awful. Did he still maintain being a good father or was he like poof at that point? Well, to to give him credit, he, he did, you know, decision to leave aside. Beyond that, he, he did everything he could to be mm-hmm. a, a good person. He, um, he took care of us, um, in a good way financially he he you know stayed in touch with the girls they would go visit him a couple times a year um he he did everything he could to and uh, it's kind of the wrong words but but to make up for leaving so yeah. to speak yeah. you know fulfill his um, obligation yeah. yeah so so the kids have a good relationship with him um we also made a very conscious decision that as far as the kids were concerned, we would um, be as amicable as possible. So we we never bashed each other to them. We never fought in front of them. We never, you know, we did everything we could to help them love their life as it was. And yeah. if he wanted to see them, 
I would try to make it happen. And, you know, so, so they had it, had it good that way. At least we were supporting each other. But you personally were just falling apart. Well, yeah, that's kind of the the funny part or odd part, I guess, when you look back Uh, in in my mind, I'm protecting the girls, uh, I'm being the the super mom and I'm, I'm hiding my misery. I'm hiding my depression. I'm, uh, you know, being talking well about their father. Uh, I'm doing it all right in my mind. Well, now my girls are 22 and 24, and their story to the world, each of them separately, is that they each individually were the one that helped me because once my father left, mom was just so depressed, and if it wasn't for me, I I don't know what she would have done. They each think they were my mom, so it's kind of interesting to hear the other side of the story. And you thought you were holding it all together. Yeah, Yeah. I did. I, I thought... I mean, I I knew I wasn't inside, and I had my best friends that, you know, our our favorite thing to do in the world was get together on the weekends and complain and blame and moan and see who had the worst story to tell about the week. And But all that was outside of the kids, and I really thought I had hidden it from them, but they tell a much different story. It's so interesting, (laughs) those darn kids, because we we took our firstborn to a a child psychologist very young, because we were just having a lot of trouble with him, and um, long story short, the psychologist said, you know, what's going on with your son here um, is is very common when they have depressed parents. Yeah. I was like, what? (laughs) Like, we are talking about this kid. We are not talking about me. But it was very eye-opening because apparently our three-year-old was picking up on a lot of my issues. I mean, these kids are (laughs) darn kids. Well, that... that that's some of the stuff we talked about or touched on in, in that first Your Brave Mind series, the fact that uh, thoughts are all well and good, but it's it's the emotion, it's the vibration. You know how you can walk into a party and you get a good vibe or a bad vibe, or, yeah. or you might leave with your friend and say, oh, I just didn't get a good vibe about that place. Yeah. Or, or, or Yeah, or you walk in the door and your your husband, you know, is kind of, meet you at the door and you say, Hey, how was your day? Fine. And, and you know, it wasn't fine. And you just want to beeline for the, the other room and the dog's hiding under the table. And you know, there's vibes that you right. pick up on. Right. But as adults, we have all this past experience, our, our knowledge, we analyze and, and we process and we try to get past it. Well, kids don't have that. They don't have the experience and the memories and the filters. And and so they just suck it all in right at a subconscious level and yeah. internalize it big so, time. So this is all very smart stuff you're saying. So how did you get to be so smart? <laughs> Where did you become, <laughs> like, like I, before we jump into some of the really cool stuff you do, um, how did you go from sort of feeling lost and like your life was over to turning it around and then becoming as successful as you are at helping others? Uh, basically by being a schmuck. So (laughs) let me explain. (laughs) So I, at at the eight year point, I was just beyond miserable and I had convinced myself of everything I was going to settle for. And and basically those two little girls were the only thing I was living for and Mm -hmm. just trying to keep them happy, keep the facade up and thinking about what I was going to do when they, when they left the nest and, and 
um, I was getting sicker and sicker. My, my health was just plummeting because the more depressed I became and the more of a bad mood I got in, it just, my health was a reflection of that. So I was miserable inside and out. And I just was getting really sick and tired of being sick and tired, Mm -hmm. frankly. And I I had a job that I hated. I was working at a construction company, uh, doing estimates. So I, I could, that started as a part-time thing when the when I was married and the kids were in school and I just wanted something to do while they were at school. So I got to play with computers and do math, which I loved. So, mm-hmm. but then my husband left. It became a a full-time thing, and then I I couldn't, you know, that I systemized my job and I was miserable, and it it was just all part of the the misery. And so I was looking for something new, and I actually stumbled on some nutritional supplements that got my attention and they worked. I believed in them. And so they worked and suddenly all my health issues were turning around. I was feeling better about myself and I realized it was a network marketing company and well, Hey, maybe I could make money doing this and get out of this job that I hate. So I started this network marketing company and I I joined a networking group and one of the other because I was going to have this health and wellness business. Mm -hmm. And one of the other gentlemen in the group had just started a life coaching business. I mean, literally just started. He was in training and he needed a bunch of guinea pigs to, to be in his first book study so that he could practice. And we were pretty good friends in the group, and he just kept asking, will you do it? Will you do it? And I just kept saying, no, I (laughs) I have no interest in that woo-woo personal development stuff. You know, I am Mr. Spock from Star Trek. I am logic. (laughs) I don't need emotions. I don't want anyone in my life to ever hurt me again like my ex-husband did. And no, no, no. And he kept begging. And so finally I said, okay. And the idea was to study Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill one chapter at a time. Mm -hmm. So I begrudgingly joined this group to do him a favor. And here's where the schmuck part comes in. I stalked in the first day, sat in the chair, leaned back, folded my arms, got bored with that, start kind of tapping my finger without noise on the desk and just letting everybody know that I didn't want to be there. (laughs) I mean, I'm embarrassed about my behavior when I look back. (laughs) Uh, But then, you know, if I'm going to do something, I'm all in. I I don't, uh, well, I don't, I don't half-ass anything. You can say that. <laughs> I, I tried to keep this a clean podcast for about three episodes, and then I realized there was no way I could do it. Okay, cool. <laughs> I, awesome. <laughs> so I actually did the homework that first week, and I read the chapter in Napoleon Hill in Think and Grow Rich, and it just grabbed me. I, I can't explain why or how. I guess I was just ready, and and week by week I dove into that book and I couldn't get enough of it. And and basically what it showed me was, well, your thoughts control your future and your feelings control your future. And so you had all this success in life because you created it. But then these last eight years have been absolutely miserable because you're a master manifester and you created that just as well. And that got me thinking, well, what if I could turn it around? why not take life on fire again? And and the principles just made so much sense to me. And there was kind of some science behind it. 
So I dove in and, and things started changing in my life. I started seeing opportunities. I, I started believing in a future. I started feeling better. Uh, the, the supplements and the, the health and wellness thing was kicked into even higher gear. And I couldn't get enough of it. And I became crazed. I became obsessed at that point. I, I took another course. And, and then it kind of hit me. that This was all in the early fall. And within three months, over the Christmas holidays, it hit me. It's like, you know what? My gift is coaching, teaching, instructing. And I, I don't mean academically standing in, you know, as a school teacher, but uh, instructing, training. Uh, if you look back um, in the Corps of Cadets, I was a drill sergeant. And then as a senior, I was in charge of, of freshman training. Um, in the uh, then when I went back when I was waiting to go into the Air Force and I was the assistant uh, coach at my high school for the varsity volleyball team. Uh, and then I got into the green building industry or the Air Force and I chose to be an instructor. And then in the green building industry, I chose to to be an, in, an instu instructor of inspectors. And mm -hmm. I, I basically ran the green building program for half the state of Virginia. And the, the thing I had fun with was not the inspections themselves, but teaching the builders how to do what they do and mm -hmm. teaching the other inspectors. And then I got into karate and I became a better instructor than I did pr practitioner. Uh, and as a third degree back black belt, that's just what I pushed towards was teaching, teaching, teaching. So it kind of hit me. Well, wait a minute. My, my love, my gift, my joy in life is instructing others. And now I understand how I created success created a miserable life and am now creating success again what if i could teach others how to turn their lives around and create success just like i'm doing and combine my gift with my newfound passion mm -hmm. and and it all started from there and so what was your first step as far as starting to teach did you write a book did you blog <laughs> what did you do <laughs> well um i i was kind of a traditionalist um i mean this was back in uh, when was that? Well, 2009. So um, all the blogging and stuff hadn't really hit yet. But I just literally scoured the Internet. Who can teach me or who can hire me to teach the stuff? Uh -huh. And I looked at Bob Proctor, Jack Canfield, John Asraf, uh, all the gurus in the movie The Secret. I, I looked at their websites and... Um, and I, I filled out their forms. So what programs do you have? What, will you hire me? Will you train me? Will you? And long story short, um, I resonated with Bob Proctor's organization. And over that Christmas holiday, um, I, I made the appointment. I talked with somebody in early January, and, and I signed up to be certified as a life success consultant through him. Um, and then I had a personal mentor and I just went to town doing my own book studies, doing my own little group coaching courses, went to his training, uh, became, um, became one of his kind of top people. I, I actually ran the post-training program for his coaches and consultants. Um, the first time I went to his training, the second time I had a little 15 minute thing on stage. And the third time, six months later, uh, I had more stage time teaching than anybody else other than Bob himself and his executive director. Um, so I was doing all that for him and with him. 
well, meanwhile, I'm I'm coaching people personally and and teaching people and and I'm using Bob Proctor's materials in the background, his CDs, his books, and um, he suggested I write a book, so I did. And mm-hmm. he had a publishing company, so the Simple Success Solution came out uh, in the fall of 2010. I had my first book. Um, I I just did everything he said basically, mm-hmm. but then I start picking up co- personal clients. And I was giving them his CDs and his workbooks and, and all those clients kept saying, well, that's all well and good, but I don't want to listen to that that man. Who, who is he? I, when are you going to do your own CDs? When mm-hmm. are you going to do your own products? When? And I just looked at them like they fell out of the tree. It's like, <laughs> oh, my God, that would be way too much work. I'm right. not doing that. <laughs> and besides, you know, Bob's amazing. Right. And, and, well, my clients didn't think Bob was amazing. They wanted me so we we finally took the plunge and oh man we were scared but just jumped and and the next person that hired me as a personal coach I said well this is cool because you're going to be the first um for you I'm going to record these cds and (laughs) design this workbook week by week and you'll get the rough draft every week and and then we'll we'll go to print after a couple more clients and and that was the start of it. And it's just one product after another, after that, it turned out it was kind of fun. (laughs) So tell everyone exactly, I guess, what you do. I mean, I know what you do. So, but you and I are just having a conversation here without telling everyone what you do. (laughs) So I know a lot of people really kind of cringe when they hear self-help or not, not me. I mean, I love the stuff I've been changed for the better since I started reading self-help and going to seminars. I think it's absolutely wonderful, but a lot of people want to cringe and run away when they hear that kind of stuff. And I don't okay. even know if you categorize yourself as self-help. So tell everyone like a little bit about what it is you actually do. All right. Well, it's I kind of run run the gambit. Um, when I first started off, I literally was doing pretty much personal coaching and a few talks here and there. Um, but I, I got frustrated because I could only have so many personal coaching clients. It means I could only help so many people, and I wanted to get the information out in a, a grander scale. So and when you say help people, I mean, is it like with their, their personal life, their job, their careers, relationships, or all of the above? Well, all of the above. People tend, in the beginning, they tended to come to me because they wanted better success in their business or in their personal finances. That mm-hmm. That's why people at first used to come to me. I'm going to help their business. I'm going to help their, their income. But no sooner would we get started and we'd figure out that the real problem was something different. So now I'm helping with their marriage. I'm helping with their kids. I'm, I'm helping with their weight loss issue, with their self-esteem issue, with their, their mental blocks and their athletic performance. Uh, it, it's all... It it sounds like all those things would be different, but really the 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 core problem with every one of those things I just mentioned is your thought patterns and how you see yourself, your self image, your self esteem, your belief in what you can or cannot do. Mm-hmm. And so, I now at this point I have worked with a dentist that could barely pay his bills. And now he not only owns his own practice, but he owns the entire shopping center that the practice is located in. Mm-hmm. I've worked with a housewife that wanted to lose weight. I've worked with um, somebody new to 
uh, triathlon that wanted to become an Ironman. I've, I've worked with startup companies. I've worked with multimillionaires that have, uh, well, a dynasty, frankly, in the Northeast and up in the Gold Coast. I mean, and everything in between, because what I actually do on the surface, people would characterize it as life coaching or self-help or personal development. I, I don't really, that's, that's how I officially get characterized, but I don't call it any of that. Um, it, it's more like peak performance, driving, get, drawing the best out of people. Mm-hmm. But really what I do is I help people see what they're capable of and then put systems and tools in place to get what they want. Mm-hmm. So it, it's so far beyond self-help or what people roll their eyes at is wishy-washy, woo-woo, nonsense, you know, positive thinking, garbage, mm-hmm. all that stuff you hear out there. Can, can I take, can I digress a minute here? And, yeah, and digress away. You? Okay. <laughs> so here's what I think happened. Um, once upon a time, there was no personal development world. Napoleon Hill brought all that into the mainstream um, several decades ago, almost a century ago now. And once it became mainstream, then everybody jumped on the bandwagon. And everybody and anybody suddenly became a, a, a life coach, a personal development guru, a self-help expert. And then the movie The Secret came out. Mm-hmm. And the movie The Secret is amazing if you know what's behind it. Uh, the movie The Secret basically says that if you can control your thoughts, you can create your life. And that's true. But then it doesn't go into part two, which means, which is that you have to pay attention to your feelings, your gut, ignore your fear, become uncomfortable, go after what you want, even though it's going to be uncomfortable and scary because you don't know how to get it. And, and then the big thing is you have to step into the unknown and take action and do things that are really going to scare you. Mm-hmm. Well, the secret didn't go into all of that. Um, so people got the misimpression that woo-woo nonsense, you know, is if I sit on my couch and look at the sky or close my eyes and think about what I want, it's just going to magically fall out of the sky. Because the secret was basically the law of attraction, right? If you think about something and you attract and you want it, the universe wants to grant you your deepest desires. And so it will come to you. That was basically the summary, but it didn't tell you how to do that. (laughs) Right. It told you step one, which is change your thoughts and figure out what you want. But then you need step two, which is control your feelings and face your fears. And you need step three, which is get up off your butt and do something and follow your gut intuitions, even though you're not going to feel like doing what you know you should do. Right. And, and, and I, I, I could yeah. go off on that, but let me save that for a little bit later. So the secret was a craze and it got everybody, uh, or, or it made personal development and self-help and life coaching mainstream, but then people didn't get results because it was it was mostly people jumping on the bandwagon that didn't understand the law of attraction and the science behind it. And so then it got a bad rap. And, right. and I think that's where we are now is that most people have dipped a toe into personal development, not gotten results, and now they roll their eyes at it. Yeah. Would or they agree? just don't think they need any help. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because I mean... we've been... 
we've been taught that to ask for help is a sign of failure. Yeah. (laughs) And that nothing could be further from the truth. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I haven't thought about um, the the secret and how that, I remember it being a phrase. I I bought the book. I I bought the book when I, um, I had to be, oh my gosh, I think I must have been five months pregnant and then had a very young child at home. And I remember thinking, what am I going to do with this? Right, <laughs> exactly. Can I, attract with can I attract a nanny who's free? I mean, <laughs> like, I, can I attract some sleep? I mean, I remember <laughs> thinking this is hogwash because, and it's exactly like you said, I didn't realize. It. Now, looking from where I sit, I see all the value in the secret and the law mm-hmm. of attraction. I totally, because I know how to implement it. But like you said, it, that whole next step was missing and I didn't realize it was missing. I was just like, why is this crap not coming to me? <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so I mean, people, people need to see success. They need to, they need proof that something works mm-hmm. and that it'll work for them and not just for this other person. And so, I mean, you think about, let's just pick, pick running, for instance. If you've never been a runner and, you know, you're, the biggest exercise you've had in the last 20 years is moving your hand from the popcorn bowl to your mm-hmm. mouth, um, and then you decide to take up running, well, if you go out that first time and sign up for a half marathon and you get a half a mile in and have heat exhaustion and get taken to the hospital and end up missing work for a week and, 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 and you're probably going to roll your eyes at running and say that, you know, that's just not good for me. Right. That doesn't work for me. That's good for all those other people. Would, would you agree yeah. with that premise? Totally. Well, personal development, the real, the real deal is the same way. If you dip your toe in it and you read a book and you think about a few things and then you put it all aside and your life doesn't change, which of course it's not going to because you didn't do anything, then it's going to be like the runner who couldn't get a half mile into the half marathon. Why bother? Yeah. I mean, or, personal or, development is is basically any anything you want to accomplish, it takes work. And so if yes. you want to develop as a person and reach your goals, you're going to have to work just as hard as you would envision working in any other area. Yeah. And and so I've kind of redefined personal development. I I've given it my just like I make up words. Um <laughs> I I redefine words too and um at every one of my events, my presentations, I, I tend to put up a screen with the new definition of personal development. To me, personal development is building the skill of controlling your thoughts and feelings despite what's crashing down around you. So enjoying the moment, creating the future, despite all the crap that's going on. That's a skill, building the skill. Well, if you decide you want to be a pianist, you can't take one piano lesson and expect to do a concert the next week. Mm -hmm. Well, if you decide you want to create a better future and harness the science behind personal development, then you can't read a book, uh, say a few affirmations, and then expect life to fall out of the sky. You you have to build the skill mm-hmm. of doing what it takes to get what you want, and it's not easy. So what is the very first step toward changing your life? Like when you have had enough, when you have had it up to here, <laughs> I don't know what up to here is. What is step one? 
Well, step one is what you just said, to say enough's enough, I'm done, to make a committed decision that I deserve better, I want better, I will have better. Don't try to stop me, just watch me. Mm-hmm. So, so you got to decide you want it. Yeah. Right? What if people don't know what they want, but they just know they don't want what, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, step one is, is to just decide that enough's enough and that you want something better. That okay. you're you're sick of settling for the status quo. You're sick of this issue. You're sick of that, that issue. Um, and then step two is to go through a discovery process to figure out what you do want. And, and the key word there is discovery. Because if you just sit down and say, what do I want? You're likely never going to figure it out because, um, well, this, this gets into a little bit of a lesson here, but there's, there's this thing called logic. Logic mm-hmm. is your, your past experience and your present knowledge. It, it's everything you've done and everything you know. And so if you start thinking about something that's outside your level of experience or knowledge, like, um, you know, I've, I've been a lawyer all my life. Now I want to be an Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> what, is that, what a dumb idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you first, now I, I, you got there step by step by step, but if, if sitting in that law office one day, you had just said, I'm going to be an Iron Man and I'm going to sign up for something tomorrow. What the fear, the the discomfort? You yeah. you couldn't do it all in that same day, could you? No, no, I didn't. It felt like I did, but I actually didn't. <laughs> okay, so was it a process? Oh yeah, that... major, for sure. And and when when would you say, when did you like experience wise? Had you done a bunch of races or or what? When at what point did you discover that Ironman was a viable goal? I mean, I think whenever I was told, you know, you can do a triathlon and Mm -hmm. I, and I said, Oh no, no, I can't. Um, (laughs) And, and I mean, my coach Jerry Halpin was the one who did and uh, who told me that. And he, you know, he said that you absolutely can. I said, Oh no, 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 I can't. And then I did like the next month because Mm -hmm. he gave me the permission that I needed to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, After that, I thought I'm going to do an Ironman. It's awesome. going to kill me, but I'm going to do this. And mm-hmm. and it's funny because, you know, I'm not a self-help person at all. But when I wrote my book, I said, and I talked about my process, step one was make the decision to become a triathlete mm-hmm. and then to set goals and then to set a really like a tier of goals, a short term, a midterm mm-hmm. and then a long term, the long term being something that you think there's no way in hell I can ever do that. And so right. in my mind, without even knowing, I went through that process. I went through the what do I want process and what is the big scary goal. Um, but I think just putting that scary goal um, out there, like vocalizing it and dreaming about it, I mm-hmm. didn't even realize the magnitude of what that was. Exactly. Yeah. See, so the bottom line is, I mean, you were, you did it by accident or unconsciously. You didn't uh, understand what was going on at the point, but you basically harnessed the, the, the laws of the universe, the law of attraction included, um, and, and discovered a burning desire within you, within your heart that, that is much different 
than sitting down and saying, what do I want to be? I am miserable. I want something new. If you have that discussion, then you're analyzing. If you're analyzing, you're drawing on your past experience and your current knowledge. If you're using your past and your present, your experience and your knowledge, then you're only capable of creating more of the same. Mm-hmm. Journeying on to something new and bigger and better and exciting, whether it's financial, relationships, athletics, you name it, if you want to go beyond where you are, then you literally have to dare to dream and get past the analytics because you you can't explain how you're going to get where you want to go. And, and yet we've got all this experience in our lives called conventional wisdom that says, protect yourself. Don't take yeah. a risk. If you don't have a plan, don't even start. And all of that's crap, frankly. Yeah. Um, you got to have the big scary dream. And then, like you said, you put systems into place. Mm-hmm. You put accountability into place because you're not going to get past the fear and discomfort on your own. You, you start working towards higher and higher levels of self-discipline and one step at a time, you'll get there. And then that's what's called a quantum leap. You you cross that finish line at Ironman and you look back and go, oh, cool. Well, yeah, that made sense. I did this and then I did this and I did this and I did this. Once you get there, it's obvious how to do it. Yeah. But when you're looking up the staircase, you know, looking at the quote you posted this morning from Martin Luther King, when you're looking up that staircase, you can't go from the bottom to step number 300. You've yeah. got to go one step at a time and you can't even see step number no. 300. You can't see the how. <laughs> it, it's got to be a, a scary, unreal logical dream. Yeah. Unrealistic, illogical dream. Unreal logical. That's your new book, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Here you are making up your words. No, it's so funny. I mean, I I look back on where I started when my kids were two and one, and I was, who knows what I weighed at that point. And, you know, I have no idea how I ended up where I am right now, but I, which is still, you know, I, I consider myself at a midway point. I still have much further I would like to go, but I... I just know that I had enough and that I took steps, deliberate action to, to get there. And I, I took it one step at a time. Um, but there was like this burning desire inside of me to not be where I was. And Bingo. I don't know that I had any real defined plan, but I do know that by starting the blog um, and then getting a few followers. And I mean, I had, you know, 69 followers for a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, can I please just have 70 <laughs> or 68 at this point? But that always stuck in my head. Um, you know, and, and it was an accountability. So all these things that you talk about, like just sort of happen. I don't know if they happened or I, I don't want to say I put them into place because I don't think I had any real plan. I think it just was intuitive maybe to me that I was stuck and I needed to do this. But I know that accountability that maybe was almost a form of having a, a life coach Yeah, <laughs> by having this blog that I like reported to people. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to tell people, you have to tell people of your plans, right? Well, <laughs> the, the, you have to have a plan like for the week or maybe the month or whatever, but, mm-hmm. but you, the plan's not going to go all the way out to the big scary level because how can you plan something? Yeah. Do you oh, have no idea? Like when you weren't even, when you had no children, 
you couldn't possibly plan their high school graduation. Yeah, no one can plan I mean, children. No, exactly. <laughs> well, life is the same way. <laughs> None of that was reported to me beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, I was going to ask you something and it totally flew out of my head, but let's talk about um, Unreal Logical. What is this book about? Well, I, I was, uh, first of all, like, like we've already said, I love to make up words, but I, I don't, I, I don't just sit down and say, what word should I make up today? <laughs> that that doesn't work for me. <laughs> um, I was on, I, I teach this four step system that involves just discovering the, the passion, the burning desire, the goal, you know, the, what do you want? Who do you want to be? What do you want to do? Kind of thing. And then you develop self-discipline, you back it up with accountability, you put systems into place. Um, everything I do, whether it's speaking, my, my own events, we have multiple day events, we have retreats, we have one day events, we have personal coaching clients, um, uh, online coaching programs. In, in all of those things, we teach this four-step system. And I, I, step one is that standard, that dream that you and I were talking about, that there has to be something out there that's unrealistic, that's illogical, that's mm-hmm. scary. And so one day I was standing on stage trying to say that, and I got tongue-tied, <laughs> and I went, your dream has to be unrealogical. <laughs> <laughs> and the audience just kind of popped up. I, I got this great response, and so the term unrealogical was born. I, uh-huh. I it I determined it um and so it's kind of become like one of our trademarks so to speak well over the course of the last several years we've had thousands of success stories I mean phenomenal things happening in people's lives uh even with the your brave mind this this last time around I mean I was a little hesitant to do a five-day program oh yeah let's talk about that we people that are listening that may not know what what we've mentioned it twice now. So, um, your brave mind was sort of, um, an idea that I approached Deb with. I said, can we do a five day program to help people's brains? (laughs) And she was like, um, five days. I'm like, yeah, five days. I just feel like we need to do five days. And, um, so Deb was like, um, that's, you know, this is like my life's work and and I don't know if we can do five days. Um, but anyway, so we, uh, you know, she said, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And so Your Brave Mind is actually um, a series of five-day events that we're doing online. Um, Deb's putting the programs together, and they've been amazing. Our first one was Taming the Bully in Your Brain, and Deb did five days. And I could not believe, she made me go through it as a babe. Um, I wasn't able, I mean, of course I'm a babe, <laughs> I mean, a baby. See how that works? Look at that positive plus yep, right there. there. But, um, so Deb was like, you, you're going to go through this with the rest of the people. And I, which caused me, Deb, um, like heart attacks, by the way, which, you know, being a control freak. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so but I, went, I, I give you credit though, that for being willing, that was awesome. <laughs> So um, I went through the five-day program, Taming the Bully in Your Brain, and it was just absolutely incredible. And basically, well, you tell you tell what it is. Like, let's talk about the first program and kind of where we're headed with the whole Your Brave Mind. 
Sure. Well, yeah, I I was a little hesitant. You know, what can we do in five days? I usually work with people for months or years. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But it was amazing. I mean, we saw remarkable transformations. Uh, We could tell we're talking with people that what we did is has stuck and Mm -hmm. they got results. Um, So what what we basically tackled was my definition of personal development. If you can control your thoughts and your feelings then you can create a future you want, but meanwhile, day by day, while life is smacking you down and slapping you upside the head and kicking you in the pants and the the bottom's falling out from under you and it's one crisis after another and the kid did this and the husband did that and the, you know, while all that's going on, you can enjoy the moment. Mm -hmm. So if if you can control the self-talk and control the emotions so that you're feeling good instead of feeling depressed, angry, sad, whatever, um, then you're well on your way. And, and so that's what your that's what taming the bully in your brain was about was the introduction to here's the bully is the, your logic. It's your past experience and knowledge that that little voice in your head, that's always telling you what to think and how to feel and making sure that both of those are pretty negative. And if we can kick that bully in the butt and you know, flick them off our shoulders, so to speak, and take control of our thoughts and feelings, then life can become pretty magical. Now, in five days, we introduced it. We showed some of the science behind it, um, just enough to, to to have a sense of belief without it being scary from a science perspective, um, and and gave people some tools to get control. And then We've got follow-on courses now where we're going to go deeper, and, and uh, I mean, we just scratched the surface. I am so excited about the the um, courses yeah. or whatever you want to call them that are coming up. It's absolutely incredible, and I don't want to give away too much because it's only five days. Um, right. But the one thing that I, I I don't think you'll shoot me for this, but the first part was just kind of listening to the stuff we say to ourselves in our mm-hmm. head. And I could not believe how mean the voices were in my head. And mm-hmm. for example, like I would get up in the morning and I would I wouldn't make eye contact with the mirror. <laughs> that right. was just not something I was cool with doing <laughs> for reasons that I later learned why. But you know, I would get all the way to the gym and I would get off the treadmill or do my treadmill workout. I would get off the treadmill and I'd start walking toward the mirrors, which were on the way out of the gym, and I would see myself, and then the thoughts would start, like, oh my mm-hmm. gosh, look at your arms, look at your legs, just mean crap, even though I'd just done, like, a six-mile treadmill run, and I, right. you know, I had been a good mother, I, my children brushed their teeth before school, you know, <laughs> it was, like, a major win for the day, but the thing that was so valuable about just this dipping our toe in and putting some action you know, toward, toward these principles, but just, just hearing and recognizing was such a major revelation for me. I mean, I couldn't believe it. And so I'm so excited about what's coming next with this. And, and yes, it will be more than five days since we will do other five days, but I love the five days. I don't know. Five's like my favorite number, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, so anyway, you guys, that's what we were talking about with, um, your brave mind. So it's yourbravemind.com. And that's, kind of a conglomeration with with Deb and myself where we're kind of teaming up to bring it to my audience. So um what else well, should we talk about? Well uh, <laughs> so much here. 
What can you do in five <laughs> minutes? No. <laughs> there you go. Well, th- there's a concept I could put out there that would I think would help. Yeah. If you want to go Let's there. Let's do it. Um, Let's do you know, going back to our earlier conversation of how, what do I actually do? How do I characterize myself? I never really finished that thought. I People would call me a life coach, but not really. People would call me self-help, but not really. Peak mm-hmm. performance, not really. Well, the difference is we take what works in the brain, the, the, the controlling your thoughts, controlling your feelings, activating the law of attraction. There's the personal development side traditionally defined. But then my background's the military. I was a, a supersonic jet instructor pilot in the Air Force. Um, it was all about systems. It was all about accountability. I mean, it, it, if things, think about it, if my students screwed up, I could be dead. Yeah. You know? How could you handle um, that? Like, let's, <laughs> like, I would, anyway, I can't even imagine. You must really <laughs> love to teach. I do not I do. love to teach someone flying me in the air. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, you, you would like this part, though, because it is such a deadly situation. Um, the Air Force ensures that the instructor pilot can be the ultimate control freak um, because the the rule is if the instructor says, I have the aircraft or touches the controls in any way, the student has to instantaneously take their feet and hands off of everything and show their hands, like wow. put them up next to their ears. Um, if they don't do that, it's an automatic court martial. Can you eject so, them out? Like, no, no, <laughs> no, no, that, that, that might make it interesting, but, but nobody wants to lose their career over that. So right, okay. they all do what they're told. But okay. anyway, getting back to it, um, what I do different is I bring that, that's military and that science side to things on a personable level, give you enough science so that you know it's not woo-woo nonsense, so that you know what's happening in your brain and your body, but not at a level where the science becomes scary. It's a level that kids can understand. Um, But then we back it with the military side of self-discipline, accountability, and systems, again, in a way and at a level that works for you, not the drill sergeant kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can do that if you want, but that's not where we go. (laughs) Uh, So we, we pull it all together like that, to change the way you think and feel. And if you change the way you think and feel, you will by default change the way you act. And then that changes your results. So the concept I wanted to to share with you is the way we learn. Uh, There's four levels of learning. And now they're going to sound pretty funky when I go through them, but I'll, I'll explain. The first level is unconsciously incompetent. There's something you don't know how to do. You're incompetent, but you don't even know it. You're unconscious. So, <laughs> like, take somebody trying to learn to ride a bike. An infant laying in a crib has no idea how to ride a bicycle, but they have no idea that they have no idea. They're unconsciously <laughs> incompetent. Okay. Well, then that that little baby starts walking. They go outside, and Big Brother and the friends in the in the neighborhood are all on this thing with two wheels and they're riding and it looks like fun. Well, well now the toddler understands that there's this thing called a bicycle and he's totally incompetent, but now he's conscious that he's incompetent. So there's something you don't know how to do, but now you know, you don't know how to do it. Unconscious or conscious incompetence. So at that point you make a decision. The child says, I want to do that. 
So mom and dad get a bike, they put training wheels on, and, and they practice and practice. And it comes time to take the training wheels off. And the first couple times it doesn't go so well, and there's accidents and crashes. But that, that child has a burning desire to ride the bike. And he practices and practices and practices, and the bruises don't matter, and the, the skin knees don't matter. And, and one day he just takes off and rides the bike. Mm-hmm. Well, now he's consciously competent, meaning if he consciously focuses on riding that bike, he can do it. But if he takes his mind off of it, he's going to crash because he still has to really focus on balance and pedaling and watching where he's going and and all the nit noise, right? Mm -hmm. Well, then, but then as he keeps practicing and keeps practicing, then you move to the fourth level, which is unconsciously competent. That means it's a habit. It's internalized. You do it completely without thinking. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you ride a bike now, now I know in in a race, it's a different situation, but if you were just to get on your beach bike, you know, and and go cruising down the road, you could text, you could drink a soda, you could eat a sandwich, you (laughs) could take your hands off, uh, right? I mean, you, you can ride the bike without even thinking about it. Yeah. Right. Um, so the four levels, you go from unconscious incompetence. There's something you don't know how to do, but you don't even know that you don't know. Then you're unconsciously, or I'm sorry, you're consciously incompetent. Now, you know, you don't know how to do something. Well, then there's this desire comes up. I want to learn. So you, you build a skill and you become consciously competent. If you're thinking about it and focusing, you can do it. Take your mind off of it. It's a disaster. Then you move to unconscious competence. It's internalized. It's a habit. You do it without thinking. It's who you are. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the process I take people through. And that's what happened in your brave mind in Taming the Bully is people started to become consciously competent at controlling their thoughts and their feelings. Yeah. So now... Just imagine if feeling good and thinking in a creative, positive way becomes unconscious competence, becomes something you're so good at it, you don't even have to think about it. Can you imagine where your life would go? I, I tell you, just in, in the couple of, I mean, I guess it's been a month since we did that, my, it, it is actually a habit, the way that I talk to myself when I'm at the gym and when I see that mirror. And it is awesome. It is different. And it's, and I don't, and I, every other time I like leading, I guess a couple of days after and weeks after I had to consciously (laughs) turn my thoughts around, but now I don't because it's a habit. Right. (laughs) I say nice things to myself as a habit. I don't even know what to do with that. Cool. Cool. (laughs) And, and, and so one step at a time Mm -hmm. now we've started to build that habit. Now we can build on it and take it to a deeper level and a deeper, deeper level. So, so here's the cool part. Uh, one of the things, as you know, that we shared in the, in the introductory taming the bully in your brain is that science very clearly shows that 95% of the day we are thinking the same old thoughts, feeling the same old feelings and doing the same old stuff. We have these routines that define us of 
we you know we get up on the same we hit the same alarm clock goes off we hit the same snooze button we get out of bed on the same side of the bed walk to the same bathroom take the same shower put put get dressed in the same way and go down and have the same cup of coffee to hurry up and get out the door to go to the same job and go through the motions at work all day to hurry up and get home to hurry up and squeeze in a workout <laughs> to hurry up and eat dinner to hurry up and go to bed so we can hurry up and get up and do it all over again right 95% of the day we are acting out of habit, thinking out of habit, and feeling out of habit. So we're unconsciously competent at being who we are. Well, if you want to change who you are and thereby change your life, you have to change your habitual ways of thinking, feeling, and acting, which means you have to create new habits, which means you have to do something new that's scary and uncomfortable over and over again until it becomes a habit. Like, like you just said, saying good things in the mirror in- mm-hmm. instead of what you used to do. Well, my question to everybody that's listening is, what exactly are you unconsciously competent at? Are you unconsciously competent at being depressed, mm-hmm. at being miserable, at um, always coming up short, at, 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 at of never reaching the goal? Of, uh, uh, what's your self-talk? That's that's your unconscious competence level. Now flip that around. What would you like to become unconsciously competent at? And what could your life be once you did that? I mean, it's exciting, wouldn't you think? Don't you think? It really is. And I think it's such a, a place of hope, too. For some of us who struggled with depression or, um, you know, who just find ourselves stuck and blue I mean just to have the hope that hey I can actually take control of this (laughs) question mark you know like really um I think it's incredible and and the fact that it actually works (laughs) well and and I I mean if I can do it you can do it you know I I was during that those eight years I was on antidepressant anti-anxiety medications we were upping the doses um I I didn't think I could get by without them you know, and I am not talking about clinical depression where where people have a chemical imbalance in their body and they're on psychotropic drugs. That you know, that's that's an illness. That's not what I'm talking about. We're talking about the blues. Mm-hmm. We're talking about anxiety and midlife crisis and being down and and feeling depressed. Um, if and and I was engineer. You know, I have an engineering degree and I love Star Trek and I'm all about logic and I had vowed to never let anyone get close to me in my life again and to get the emotions out of my life. And so if this logical, analytical, depressed person that's popping antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds like crazy can do this, anybody can do this. (laughs) (laughs) It's so awesome, Deb. Well, thank you so much for coming on and you guys check out Deb's website, debcheslow.com. And have we need to do an event? Yes, we do. Wouldn't that be fun? That would be incredible. We could. Would I get to change... karate chop some wood? If you would like to, you <laughs> betcha. <laughs> That's what we do at our uh, our four day retreat here that. in Daytona every I year. Saw that. Yeah. So we should really talk about that offline. That would be a great idea. But um, yeah. you guys check out our yourbravemind.com. dot com. Um, we're actually starting. Um, a new Taming the Bully tomorrow, but that'll be like way later because this podcast is not airing tomorrow. So never mind, scratch that. But we will have upcoming stuff. Uh, I guess the next the next step 
So if you've tamed the bully, then we're going to go on to part two. And there's all sorts of exciting stuff that is coming up from Deb um, via my channels. And so I'm super excited. And can, can I interject one of thing? Of course. Oh, never, never finished my thought. My bad. Back, you asked me about the book. Um, oh, yeah, the book. For anybody that that's doubting, um, is this woo-woo nonsense? Well, oh my God, that military part sounds too scary. Oh, I hate science. If anything I said scared you, that's what the new book, Unreal Logical, is all about. It'll it'll be out um, early summer, and what it is is stories. There are fifty plus stories from my clients all walks of life, some that have only went to events, some that only bought a book, some that were my personal clients, but um, ordinary people doing amazing, unreal, logical things. Um, everyday people doing remarkable things because they built the skill of controlling their thoughts and feelings and you backed it up with systems, accountability, etc. cetera. Um, the book's got a, a fair amount of content in it to explain e each thing that, you know, as I said, we scratched the surface in Taming the Bully in Your Brain, but the book goes much deeper. But it's mainly stories. Think Chicken Soup for the Soul on steroids. Uh, <laughs> so so if you're having doubts, I'd encourage you to, to read what other people have done and say, well, could that be me? That's awesome. So we all have the same 24 hours in our day. What is it that you, Deb, do every day that you attribute to a major part of your health, happiness, and success? What's one thing that you do on a consistent basis? <laughs> one thing, okay. Deb, one thing. Uh, okay, I'm going to blow your mind. Don't the say one meditation. Thing... No. Okay. I, I do that, but I'm I not going to say that. I've been saying that lately, and I'm like, I'm not talking about meditation anymore, because that is nope. the last frontier for me. I'm not doing it. <laughs> okay. The one thing I do every single day is do something different every single day. So oh. if you think back, 95% of the day, we're thinking, feeling, acting the same old way, and that's why we get the same old life. I find a way every single day to do something that's different. Oh, like that's I cool. might um, eat my dinner with my left hand, or I might um, <laughs> drive a different way to work, or, you know, whatever. That's Seriously, really cool. I fix it up. <laughs> I want to do that. That's like Andy Potts always says, you know, the big triathlon adage is nothing new on race day. And Andy Potts always says everything new on race day or at exactly. least, least one thing new on race day. So he always says, well, how do you know if it's going to work if you don't try it in a race? And so, um, yeah, that's cool. Something new every day. Yep. I can Something do that. That makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. Because the goal is to be comfortable being uncomfortable because that's the only way to change and grow. Oh, I love it. All right. I'm going to do some. I'm going to eat dinner with my left hand tonight. <laughs> All right. Well, make sure you have water in case you end up spilling something. That's right. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Deb. I appreciate it. And we'll talk soon. Thanks for having me. It was awesome. <laughs>